Whoa, happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Good morning. Happy Sunday. Welcome back to These Are the Words. I'm Eric Grun. And uh, I'm going to continue in Chapter 3 of The Secret of Shambhala. Ah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for this day that you've given us. Jesus, in your name, we thank you and praise you. Amen. Uh, let me see. Today is also Refugee Day. To all refugees, spiritual refugees, physical refugees, God bless you and keep you and preserve your life and bring you to his bosom his under his wings home bring you to himself and home in your heart amen <clears throat> ah Let's see. This music is called Heal Your Feminine Energy. 432 hertz music for self-love and self-care. Awakening the goddess within. <laughs> Shamanic tradition has a lot to do with the sacred feminine. Uh, that's not just a feminist movement that has occurred since the 60s, but it has uh, taken on the New Age um, spin since the 60s, since the hippie movement. But... Uh, <clears throat> Throughout uh, many different cultures, shamanic cultures, Taoist, uh, Indian, from India, Tibetan, um, African, as well as uh, Middle Eastern, and uh, various other Asian cultures celebrate the divine feminine <clears throat> and look at the divine feminine as uh, well um, in the ancient world it wasn't treated necessarily as greater than the divine masculine but in some cultures it was it was um, and uh, it was preferred, uh, even to the point where there was matriarchy in many different cultures, ancient cultures. And this is a the spirit has been renewed in today's modern culture, 
but in large part is really very much new age pop culture that has quasi um, brought it back, you know, quasi, you know, restored it. <clears throat> I say quasi in a way that sarcastic way because um, there's a lot of modern feminist modern day feminist agendas that doesn't really have to do much with the divine feminine but has to do with uh, not even a matriarchy has to do with uh uh, getting back at <laughs> getting back at men basically basically it is about getting back at men you know uh, and taking revenge and avenging the you know the toxic the quote unquote toxic masculinity and uh, you know God just calls it sin in scripture uh, there's no such thing as toxic masculinity or toxic femininity. Uh, it's just sin. If, if we abuse each other, it's sin. If we, you know, rape each other, it's sin. If we manipulate each other, it's sin. It, if we uh, seduce each other, it's sin. Um, you know, God talks about in the Bible, you know, about all kinds of sexual sin, sin against our own sexual nature and our own masculinity and our own femininity uh, through sexual sin, you know? So <clears throat> it's rooted in that. It's rooted in that. And one of the most widespread and accepted sins in pop culture Hollywood culture modern day culture uh, is uh, is all kinds of sexual sin rooted in all kinds of sexual sin so most people don't like hearing that because we we love to escape um, we love to escape reality and call it spirituality and uh, and make honoring the feminine and masculine spirit into some kind of um, promiscuity and just not much more than just using each other for for sexual um, exploitation and uh, and then calling it love and masquerading with these masks of our uh, false ego it goes this is ego it goes is, is is a big word in today's pop culture the new age culture that uh, ego 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 you know but it's just 
a misconception of the self-identity, not really understanding and knowing and uh, connecting with our spiritual nature, and which isn't <clears throat> which isn't uh, separate from nature, nature, you know, which isn't separate from like actual nature, nature. Uh, but the desires of the flesh contend with the desires of the spirit. So, <clears throat> um, but unless you acknowledge that, you uh, basically fall into many different kinds of traps uh, and call giving into our flesh spirituality, you know, like the perfect example is, uh, this neo-tantric movement that, uh, doesn't have anything to do with, uh, God's love and spirit and truth and has everything to do with uh, playing with each other's genitals, <laughs> you know, I mean, and some people might disagree and say, well, you, how dare you reduce it to that? It's, uh, because, you know, we take the time to love each other and we're, we have a polyamorous community. Well, okay. 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 If people are engaged and married to each other and really committed to each other, and not just wanting to like play with genitals as like it's a toy, <laughs> you know, come on, you know, it's like it, it could be very superficial and and then, uh, you know, people get angry and, and people get defensive and they call that, uh, you know, being spiritual, you know, uh, <clears throat> but come on. Let's get real, you know? Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, that's my whatever this morning. So, I'm going to get into The Secret of Shambhala by James Redfield. Page 58. Page 58. How did... Okay. Secret of Shambhala, Cultivating Energy. How did the energy fill you? Han asked. How did it happen exactly? It was a rush of peacefulness, and all my fear went away. How did it move? That was a question I had never thought about, but I quickly began to remember. It seemed to come up my spine and out through the top of my head, lifting my body upward. I felt as if I was floating, as though there was a string pulling me upward from the top of my head. Han nodded approvingly, then caught my eye. And how long did it last? Not long, I replied, but I have learned how to breathe in the beauty around me in order to rekindle the feeling. What is missing in your practice, said Han. 
is breathing in the energy and then consciously maintaining it at a higher level? This is the first extension that you must make. You must keep your energy flowing in more fully. This must be done in a precise manner, taking care that your other actions do not erode your energy field once you have built it up. He paused for a moment. Do you understand? The rest of your life must support your higher energy. You must be congru congruent. He glanced at me mischievously. Mis mischievously. You must live wisely. Let's, let's eat. He disappeared into the kitchen and returned with a platter of vegetables, accompanied by a sauce of some kind. He ushered both Yin and me over to a table and served the vegetables in three small bowls. It soon became clear that the food was all part of the information Han was imparting. As we ate, he continued. Maintaining higher energy within oneself is impossible if one consumes dead matter as food. I looked away, turning off. If this was going to be a lecture on diet, I would just as soon skip it. <clears throat> My attitude seemed to infuriate Han. Are you crazy? He almost shouted. Your very survival may depend on this information, and you won't put yourself out a little bit to learn this? What do you think? That you can live any way you want and still do important things? He became quiet and glanced sideways at me. I realized that the anger was genuine, but was also part of his act. I got the impression that he was giving information to me on more than one level. As I looked back at him, I couldn't help smiling. Han was eminently likable. He patted my shoulder and smiled back at me. Most people, he continued, are full of energy and enthusiasm in their youth. But then during middle age, they lapse into a slow downhill slide that they pretend not to notice. After all, their friends are slowing down and their kids are active. So they spend more and more time sitting around and eating the foods that taste good. Before long, they begin to have nagging complaints and chronic problems such as digestive difficulties or skin irritations that they write off as just age. And then one day they get a serious illness that won't go away. Usually they go to a doctor who does not stress prevention and they begin to take drugs and sometimes the problem is helped and sometimes it isn't. And then, as the years fly by, they get some disease that progressively gets worse and they realize they are dying. Their only solace is that they think what is happening occurs to everyone that it is inevitable. The terrible thing is that this collapse of energy happens to some extent even to people who otherwise intend to be spiritual. He leaned over toward me and feigned looking around the room to see if someone was listening. 
This includes some of our most respected lamas. I wanted to laugh, but I dared not. If we seek higher energy and at the same time consume foods that rob us of this energy, Han continued, we get nowhere. We must assess all the energies we, routine, we, we routinely allow into our own energy fields, especially foods, and avoid all but the best if our fields are to stay strong. He leaned closer to me again. This is very difficult for most people because we are all addicted to the foods we currently eat, and most are horribly poisonous. I know there is much conflicting information out there about food, he went on, but the truth is out there too. Each of us must do the research, make ourselves see the larger picture. We are spiritual beings who come into this world to raise our energy. Yet much of what we find here is designed purely for sensual pleasure and distraction. And much of it saps, and much of it saps our energy and pulls us toward physical disintegration. If we really believe we are energetic beings, we must follow a narrow path through these temptations. If you look all the way back at evolution, you see that from the beginning we had to experiment with food purely by trial and error, just to figure out which foods were good for us and which would kill us. Eat this plant, survive, eat that one over there, die. At this point in history we've figured out what kills us, but we're only now realizing which foods add to our ultimate longevity and keep our, high, our energy high, and which ones ultimately wear us down. He paused for a moment, as if determining whether I was understanding. In Shambhala, they see this larger picture, he continued. They know who we are as human beings. We look like we are material stuff, flesh and blood, but we are atoms, pure energy. Your science has proved this fact. When we look deeper into atoms, we first see particles, and then, at deeper levels, the particles themselves disappear into patterns of pure energy, vibrating at a certain level. And if we look at the way we eat from this perspective, we see that what we put in our bodies as food affects our vibrational state. Certain foods increase our energy and vibration, and others diminish it. The truth, the truth is as simple as that. All disease is a result of a drop in vibrational energy, and when our energy drops to a certain point, there are natural forces in the world that are designed to disincorporate our bodies. He looked at me as though he had said something very profound. <laughs> Do you mean physically disincorporate? I asked. Yes. Look again at the larger picture. When anything dies, a dog hit by a car, or a person after a long illness, the cells of the body immediately lose their vibration and become very acid in nature, in chemistry. That acid state is the signal to the microbes of the world, the viruses, bacteria, and fungi that it is time to decompose this dead tissue. 
This is their job in the physical universe to return a body back to the earth. I said earlier, he went on. I, I said earlier, he went on. That when our bodies drop in energy because of the kinds of food we are eating, it makes us it makes us susceptible to disease. Here's how that works: when we eat foods, they are metabolized and leave a waste or ash in our bodies. This ash is either acidic in nature or alkaline, depending on the food. If it is alkaline. Then it can be quickly extracted from our bodies with little energy. However, if these waste products are acid, they are very hard for the blood and lymph system to eliminate, and they are stored in our organs and, and tissues as solids, low vibrational crystalline forms that create blocks or disruptions in the vibratory levels of our cells. The more such acid byproducts are stored. The more generally acid,、uh, the more generally acid these tissues become, and guess what? He looked at me dramatically again. A microbe of one type or another appears and senses all this acid and says, "Oh, this body is ready to be decomposed." Do you get that? When any organism dies, its body quickly changes to a highly acid environment. And is consumed by microbes very quickly. If we begin to resemble this very acid or death state, then we begin to come under attack from microbes. All human diseases diseases are the result of such an attack. What Han was saying made perfect sense. A long time ago, I had run across some information about body pH on the internet. Moreover, I seemed to know it intuitively. You're telling me that what we eat directly sets us up for for disease? I asked. Yes, the wrong foods can lower our vibrational level to the point that the forces of nature begin to return our bodies to the earth. What about diseases that aren't caused by microbes? All disease comes about through microbial action. Your own research in the West is showing that. Various microbes have been found to be associated with the arterial lesions of heart disease, as well as the production of tumors in cancer. But remember, the microbes are just doing what they do. Diets that create the acidic environment are the true cause. He paused and then said, "Grasp this fully." We humans are either in an alkaline, high-energy state, or we are in an acid state, which signals the microbes living within us, or that come by, that we are ready to decompose. Disease is literally a rotting of some part of our bodies because the microbes around us have been given the signal that we are already dead. We looked. He looked at me mischievously again. Sorry to be so blunt, he said, but we don't have much time. The food we eat determines almost entirely which of these two conditions we are in. Generally, foods that leave acid wastes in our body are heavy, overcooked, overprocessed, and sweet. 
such as meats, flowers, pastries, alcohol, coffee, and the sweeter fruits. Alkaline foods are greener, fresher, and more alive, such as fresh, fresh vegetables and their juices, leafy greens, sprouts, and fruits like avocado, tomato, grapefruit, and lemons. It could not be more simple. We are spiritual beings in an energetic spiritual world. Those of you in the West might have grown up thinking that cooked meat and processed foods are good for us, but we know now that they create an environment of slow disincorporation that takes its toll on us over time. All the debilitating illnesses that plague mankind, arteriosclerosis, stroke, arthritis, AIDS, and especially cancers, exist because we pollute our bodies, which signals the microbes inside that we are ready to break down, de-energize, die. We always wondered why some people exposed to the same microbes don't get a particular disease. The difference is the inner body environment. The good news is that even if we have too much acidity in our bodies and begin to decompose, the situation can be reversed if we improve our nutrition and move to an alkaline, higher energy state. He was now waving both arms, his eyes wide, still twinkling. We are living in the dark ages. When it comes to the principles of a vibrant, high-energy body, human beings are supposed to live more than 150 years, but we eat in a way that immediately begins to destroy us. Everywhere we see people who are disincorporating before our eyes, but it doesn't have to be that way. He paused and took a breath. It's not that way in Shambhala. After another moment, Han began to walk around, looking me over one more time. So, there you have it, he concluded. The legends say that humans will first learn the true nature of foods and what kinds to consume. Then the legends say, we can fully open up to the inner sources of energy that increase our vibration even more. He slid his chair back from the table and looked at me. You are handling the altitude very well here in, in Tibet. But I would like for you to resist. Or, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I would like for you to rest. That would be nice, I said. I'm bushed. Yes, Yin agreed. We have had a long day. Make sure you expect a dream, Han added, leading me toward a bedroom. Expect a dream? Han turned. Yes, you are more powerful than you think. I laughed. And I'll pick it up again in the next section of Chapter 3, Cultivating Energy. Ah, this is nice, seeing that uh, one of the ways of honoring the Divine Feminine and Divine Masculine, or in a.k.a. our femininity, and our masculinity, just naturally, <laughs> is to eat well, right? 
and we have this this uh, this other duality of acidity and alkalinity. And let me tell you, also, I've studied I've studied for quite some time <clears throat> food and diet. And this brings me back to all my studies. Acidity is not all bad. Acidity has a role, like our stomach acids have a role to play in our body. It is the element of fire in our body. It is the agni in our body. So acidity plays a role. Um, but we have to make ourselves aware of the role of acidity in our body and the role of alkalinity in our body and uh, keep our blood alkaline and keep our kidneys mainly uh, flushed and operating well and our kidneys help with the alkalinity in our in our blood in our body so we have to care for our kidneys and the kidneys are also uh, responsible for a very kind of kind of a we can call it a feminine energy if we because they're they're connected to the element water and so we need to take care of our kidneys and flush them out and keep them operating well drink plenty of water fresh water and even if if we find alkaline water even better all right i'm going to read for you jeremiah um, Jeremiah, let's see if you can hear me. <laughs> you can still hear me. Jeremiah chapter 13. The ruined waistband. The ruined waistband. Thus the Lord said to me, Go and buy yourself a linen waistband and put it around your waist. But do not put it in water. So I bought the waistband in accordance with the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, Take the waistband that you have bought, which is around your waist, and arise. Go to the Euphrates and hide it there in a crevice of the rock. <laughs> kind of reminds me of something I did with a photograph. So I went and hid I so I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord had commanded me. After many days the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, and take from there the waistband which I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I took the waistband from the place where I had hidden it. And lo, or behold, the waistband was ruined. It was totally worthless. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, Just so will I destroy the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This wicked people, who refuse to listen to my words, who walk in the stubbornness of their hearts, and have gone after other gods to serve them and to bow down to them, 
Let them be just like this waistband which is totally worthless. For as the waistband clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole household of Israel and the whole household of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, for renown, for praise, and for glory. But they did not listen. So, wow. I'm going to stop there. Actually, and the Lord is like that. Very often, He speaks to your heart uh, in a kind of a very metaphorical way, in a very allegorical way, you know, in a very uh, symbolic way, if you will. And uh, shows you something that, you know, tells you to do something and you don't really know why, okay, it's strange. <laughs> and I have found personally in my relationship with, with, uh, with Jesus Christ, with, with God, with the Lord, <laughs> that he is a strange person, actually. He is, he is quite strange. And this kind of story reflects his, a little bit his strangeness, uh, that he would have Jeremiah bury the waistband, buy the waistband, bury the waistband, and then go dig up the waistband, find it again, and put it specifically in between a rock, uh, a split rock, a crevice of the rock, and, um, and, uh, specifically by the Euphrates, and, uh, and show Jeremiah how it got ruined when he dug it up again, and saying, you know, in a way, he's, he's, well, he's telling Jeremiah, this is, this is the way that I see my people acting, my people who I, I wanted to cling to me, I wanted to, to, to wrap around me, I wanted to, uh, I wanted them to depend on me, you know, um, I wanted them to, to, to be f for renown or for and for praise and for glory uh, I wanted to glorify them I wanted to them to be praised and to you know to be known all everywhere you know and they they but they did not listen and so how can God help us to uh, you know when we start to when we start to take wisdom and make it into uh, make it into our own thing and do our own thing with it and do whatever we want with it, we end up coming up with neo tantric movements. We end up uh, eating all kinds of acidic foods. We end up poisoning ourselves. We end up triggering things that we 
deep inside of us that we don't know that we trigger that start to decompose us and start to bring us toward death instead of more life you know when we don't listen to the spirit we start to do the things that allow our flesh desires to take over and inevitably destroy us and kill us So it's important to take wisdom as it is. It's important to take wisdom as it is. It's important to apply it, especially apply knowledge in our life. It isn't wisdom until we apply it in our life and experience it. And experiencing experience the 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 fruitfulness of it. You know, the Lord says from the beginning, be fruitful and multiply. So he wants the best for us. And so God literally represents the best for us in our lives. And so if we don't decide to live according to the wisdom that is left for us, that has been passed on generation after generation for our benefit, uh, and to make us renowned, and to make us uh, uh, worshipable, and to make us glory, to glorify us, um, and so, and, and so, so if we don't move toward that spirit, that we're able to, that we are able to, you know, overcome all things. We are able to lift God up and exalt Him and praise Him and see God as a force or a spirit or a person who is really for us, for our best benefit, for our good, our true good. And we can, we can comfortably live in obedience to God, to that love. And we have that desire that's our the desire of our heart, our natural desire of our heart. Unless we uh, get to this kind of life, the way Han is in the story talking about Shambhala, this higher energy state, this higher awareness, this higher consciousness, this higher true spirituality, you know, this true spirit living, and we are spirit filled with fervor for, for the ways of God because God's ways are higher than our ways. And so unless we really are seeking that, we're walking on the path of destruction. And Jesus says, narrow is the path. Similar to the story in the secret of Shambhala, that narrow is the path. So we have to make ourselves aware of the ways God
God's ways, the ways of life, life-giving ways, and not contending always with each other over cultural things that we're basically just turning into uh, selfish ways uh, and, and twisting all kinds of wisdom that has been passed on for, to us from generation to generation uh, and making it into something that is suitable for our selfish desires. You know? And not just taking it as it is and accepting it. And that's what's called growing into uh, just, just regular maturity. Uh, not only just, you know emotional and physical maturity but spiritual maturity as well so you know uh, every time we we take something that is belongs to uh, profound true profound wisdom that is for our best and turn it into uh, something that we can exploit for our own selfish desires we do a, a great disservice to ourselves we go do a great disservice to ourselves and to each other um, because it's a beautiful thing that so much has been really mapped out for us and it's a shame whenever I hear people say we don't have a guidebook to life we don't have a guide to life we don't have a map to life but there are so many guides really really but we just, we lost faith in them and we lost trust because of our own doing, of, an, of our own undoing. Because we're, 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 we end up being untrustworthy. And so we don't even trust ourselves. And so how can we love others as we love ourselves? We can't even trust ourselves, you know? So that, that has to start from like, you know, numero uno, as, as they say, you know. We have to start trusting in, in, the, in, in the light in our hearts, the light that Jesus Christ says he is, the light that is in us. We have to start trusting that, you know, that ability to be able to choose life and choose the right thing you know and we do have guides we just have to listen and hear them and uh, not be afraid um, to be wrong and not be afraid uh, to trust and not be afraid to fail uh, knowing that you know we can depend on God we can depend on the Lord like he's wanting us to do here he's saying cling you know we have to cling there are certain things like there's certain concepts of like letting go and not clinging but that's clinging not clinging to our own ways not clinging to our to temporary things you know but clinging to eternal things that is what God represents clinging to that which is eternal and that which has been true since time immemorial and uh, putting those things to the test in our own lives 
and experiencing them directly so that our knowledge becomes direct knowledge. All right, so thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word and for your wisdom. And may you all be blessed. Thank you for listening. Happy Sunday to you. God bless.